This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South Soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouths of the South podcast brought to you by Dirty South Soccer in the Palatial 68 of the Fan Studios. I am, at, well, no, not the Palatial 68 of the Fan Studios. When our, when our, we are in our homes. He's in his house, Josh Bagarianski. I'm in my house, my apartment. I'm Eric Quintana. Not so palatial. Not so palatial. Bit run down. A little more of a frat. Run down. Oh, wow. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think your place looks good, man. You, I can see your bottled water there on top of the fridge. You're staying hydrated. Got the Doing a flag draped up on the wall. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks great. Josh, we got a 1-1 win over Orlando. Wasn't the prettiest. 1-1 win, yes. I like the way you uh, – did you do that on purpose or was that accidentally? Oh, no, that was on purpose. Okay, I thought good. about that one on the <laughs> fly. Oh, 1-1 win for Atlanta United <laughs> uh, over just... Orlando City. And really the win because it wasn't a loss. And the way in which Adam John just goes up for that beautiful header gets it past. Before and... we get into the game itself. I remember before we went into this like little run of games and I was saying, well, obviously we want to win all of them, but wouldn't it be great if we're terrible and somehow just pull something out of our ass against Orlando? And that is exactly what happened. Well and, done, Adam John. <laughs> yeah, and as you said, 1-1 win. Yeah, and it was Adam John, which is even better. So, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, the, so from a fan's point of view, I just thought it was hilarious. I mean, it was hilarious. I mean, especially, you know, Orlando were, especially in the first half, completely dominant in that match, just unable to finish their chances. And then you had some great recovery tackles from George Bello, Franco Escobar. But uh, to me, Eric, and, and a lot of people disagreed with me this with this, but to me that was, particularly the first half, the worst performance I've seen from Atlanta United all season long. And the reason I say that is, and I understand the effort was low and it looked bad at MLS's back. And certainly the, the team is in a better place than they were then. But we have never been that open at any time this season where we're unable to maintain possession. And then we're just getting passed right through over and over and over again, right through the middle of the pass. Stuart Holden said it himself. He said, they, Orlando was getting in behind Atlanta United's defense in one pass. And that, that is not acceptable regardless of the quality you have on the pitch. Fortunately, you had a lot of pace back there and Bello and Escobar able to run some guys down and also some poor finishing from Orlando. But I thought just, to me, as far as a, a so solid, consistent performance, that was the worst I've seen in Lane United play all year. That first half was especially bad. Uh, you heard it from the players themselves. Jeff Lerowitz talking about after the game how we were not good enough in the first half, not even close. Um, it It's a... It was a first half that look. A lot of people look at the scoreline in terms of in terms of worst performances and just base it mainly off of that. And I think that's a not the best way to look at that sort of thing uh, because you can have a uh, you can have a good first half, uh, you know, performance wise, and just get unlucky on the other end with uh, with a team counter against you or whatever. Sure. You know, you think back to some of the you know uh, like the Houston. I forget what year it was. Um, I even think this year, Eric, I mean, I think yeah, you look at New York Red Bulls and MLS sure. is back. We had the majority of the chances. That's the way we've seen it. United concede many more chances when they've been on the front foot and this then looked, got encountered. Yeah, this looked especially bad because of, of how uh, how dominant Orlando looked in that first half. Yeah, how, yeah like easy, you said, how, easy for them. Yeah, how open they were, how they didn't score <laughs> multiple goals in that first half, I don't know. They really should have put the game away probably at halftime. It didn't, they took... 
you know, all 45 plus one to, to score the one that they did score. And you look at that first half and, and you think, man, it, it, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think I've ever seen it worse than that. I know the scoreline doesn't represent it that way, but it looked so bad. It looked like there was no way they were going to one win the, you know, get a result out of this match. Um, and then two, it was going to be, I didn't expect anything to get better in the second half because I just didn't know because you had your best, roughly your best 11 out there, the best 11 options that you could, that you could, you know, put out there minus say pity and, and Joseto, mm-hmm. which I, 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 that's the other thing. I, I'm not sure some of the decisions that are made by, by Steven glass. And I know he's, he's just an interim and, and he's coming from Lenny. I too. I, I get the sense and I'm not the only one that thinks this. I don't think at least because I've gotten text about this, that it feels as though he's running this team a lot. Like he, like he would have run at Lenny United too, which given the season, given the state of affairs with Atlanta United and given that his job's not necessarily on the line or anything fine, but rotating for the sake of just rotating when you're trying to get results, when you're trying to kind of see out the rest of the season, I, you know, you can make the case that he's, uh, you know, trying to get guys up to speed. He's trying to get guys, you know, match fitness. He's trying to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the load management is right for, for all these players. Uh, but it, it just, at least for me, it comes, it, it seems odd to see some of these changes. I feel like we've had a different starting 11 every, every, every week. There's no real consistency in the midfield. There's, you know, it feels like, uh, as as a as a manager, he's still trying to feel things out to see what. I, I just don't think that there's a. What's the best way to say this? I feel like I feel like there's never going to be a starting eleven that he loves. It's more about, you know, who, who is physically feeling good right now that we can play in that position as opposed to what tactically works. Right. I think that's a a pretty decent shout based on a few of the things that we've seen in terms of. Like you said, I wouldn't say, I mean, he's, it's like he's trying to get everybody minutes, right? So you're treating it almost more like a developmental. Uh, right. And of course, he's Look, not. That's, that's from the outside looking in, from the inside, maybe he. Well, I mean, he, let's, let's be real. I mean, I, of course, it's not completely right that, like that. He's, he understands it's a different type of job. But I can never imagine a Frank DeBoer or Tata Martino substituting Ezekiel Barco trailing with 20 minutes to play in a match where you wouldn't have had a Joseph Martinez, you wouldn't have had any other uh, dynamic attacking players on the pitch. That's it. And, and then, you know, obviously, and any, any rationale for it, you're trying to keep guys fit. You're trying to keep guys healthy uh, for, for this run of matches. That's, I mean, we saw Lane United go through similar runs of matches like this in that, that famous September under Tata Martino, the very first season in 2017. We were playing two games a week over a month period. We've seen uh, cramped fixture lists plenty of times in the past. And yes, there's been rotation, but we haven't seen like pre planned, almost like pre planned rotation. Yeah. It, feel, it feels a little, yeah, it feels a little like it's, it's something that he's, he's setting up games in advance almost. Yeah, and I think I get planning that, but you gotta, you know, you gotta look at that game and say, and obviously get the equalizer, but you gotta look at that game and say, look, I, there's no way I can take Barco off the pitch here. I mean, there's nobody else that we've got out there creating. And I thought it was very interesting, you know, Barco's reaction when he came off didn't, I mean, it did it two matches in a row, not showing much respect for the manager uh, at all, and, uh, and and that's something that's interesting to follow. And again, maybe speaks to what you're saying, Eric, that maybe while certainly the communication seems to be better than it was under Frank DeBoer, 
there there might be some issues in making that jump to managing a, a top flight side in MLS from from a team like Atlanta United too, which is so much more developmental focused. Barco coming off in the seventy first minute for uh, for Josetu, and uh, according to Felipe Cardenas, who who threw it out on Twitter uh, from the media con- or from the uh, media conference today, um, Barco apparently telling Glass that we're trying to win a game here. When he came off, that's what he told. Yeah, something yeah, yeah, along yeah. those lines. Again, that's from Felipe from the uh, from the uh, the media availability from today. Um, it's interesting to hear a guy like Barco, and that's that's more. I think more the reason I think that I, that that I get I get the sense that he's treating it not treating it. I I, I want to give Stephen Glass Glass credit because to hop into a, a, a position that the position that he's in can be easy especially when you don't plan on it coming. Um, you know that you you're, you're likely don't have a shot at the spot. So it's hard to kind of long-term at least, you know, you know, Atlanta United is in all likelihood going to find someone else that can, that can fill the position and they can, that can manage the players in a way that maybe suits their, uh, their personalities maybe a little bit better than Steven glass. Although I've loved everything I've heard out of Steven glass when it comes to uh, his honesty in post game, you know, the, the pre and, and, and you know, halftime, stuff that you hear on TV, you know, the things that he's saying, it's all the right things. And I, I love yeah. that mindset that he has. I love that, uh, you know, he's someone that's willing to kind of share what's, what's going on. And, and, and it's almost like, I feel like every time we, we see his face and we hear him talk, it's like, oh, we're about to have a heart to talk heart to heart about what's going on with this club right now. So I like that. It was a lot different than Frank DeBoer because you felt like he was putting up walls and barriers and kind of prepared to defend himself a little bit, especially towards the end there. Yeah. I think, but, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, you get the sense that these guys, that the players haven't quit on the season yet. They still think that there's a chance to, to, you know, do something, you know, relatively great when it comes to, when you think about how this season started. So it, it, it's nice to see the, the attitude that these players have specifically in a guy like Barco, who you don't hear from very much. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. this is what I wanted. This is the kind of attitude, and we got a little bit out of it last year with, under Frank DeBoer, but this, I wanted almost more of this vocal leadership from a guy like Pity, given that he was a DP, given that he was one of the fixtures in the starting 11 for the most part, and you didn't see that. You saw it some, but you didn't see it nearly to this level, I guess, with Barco and basically shouting that he wants to stay in the game. He wants to win the game. He wants, he wants, to, you know, he wants to perform, and he wants to get the results that, uh, that, that the fans want. Yeah, but I think the – and it's good, obviously, to see him at least willing to take that weight on his shoulders with basically – I mean, he's by far your most dynamic player going forward now, uh, as I mentioned earlier. I think, you know, you, there's the two sides of glass that you sum up pretty well. On the one hand, the vibe is clearly better, you know, at the club. Yeah. Uh, the, the way, you know, and that, that goes – I would say his communication you mentioned with the media is probably similar to with the players, right? Where he's, I mean, I'm not saying he's saying the same things, but he's just, he's honest, he's candid, you know, he's going to tell you what he thinks. And that's exactly what the players said they weren't getting uh, in the DeBoer regime. And then the other thing I like about him is he hasn't tried to come in and, uh, and at least at first, he hasn't tried to overhaul the system and try to do implement his own uh, principles and those types of things. He's kind of stuck to what was already being done and just added a little more of an enthusiasm to it, a little more of better communication uh, to coaching uh, what is wanted. Because it's not extremely different from what Frank DeBoer wants. But on the other end, like you just said, you get a quote from that from like that from Barco. We're trying to win a game here. That's a perfect example of the difference between coaching that USL team and coaching the MLS side. I'm not saying the USL side is not trying to win. Of course they are. But 
you, you're a little bit more concerned about keeping a player fresh and healthy at that level when you want to maximize the minutes he gets from the beginning of the season to the end. In MLS, in the top level, you're trying to win first and foremost, period. So even if you're going into that match thinking, yeah, if we can get Barco off by him some minutes, we will. But you're trying to win the game. And it became yeah. clear, although okay, he got lucky, he got Adam John, but it was pretty clear that he was the only guy that was really able to generate much in attack. So, I mean, yeah. I do feel that's, that's the time where you're, where you're a big, big club, you know, when you're in the top flight, you say, all right, I got, I got to leave him on because first and foremost, we need to try to get a result tonight. Well, look, credit to Stephen Glass for making the subs that he did make. Jake Mulraney comes in for Eric Rometty in the 84th. Um, Adam John comes in for Eric Torres and Eric Kubo Torres in the 71st. And ultimately, that's the pair that gets you the goal to, to come away with at least a point in this match. Um, and again, in a game that you probably didn't have any business being in to begin with, you found a way to get the result. Yeah. Credit where credit is due to Stephen Glass. Did you see him in the lower right hand, lower oh, left hand yeah. part of the screen, no freaking that. out? I think it was Doug Robertson who pointed out at some point talking about, yeah, uh, at least it's on like Twitter. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it until uh, until I think it's he pointed funny. it out. And that is funny. that's the best reaction. You know, he loved that that there was is his two subs, his two his two guys that uh, um made the uh, that that paired up for the goal and and helped Elena to get a get a point out of it. Um, what were the positives out of this match? I know the second half is probably more likely to come away with some some positive aspects. I know for me, George Bello, the things I saw out of George Bello in that second, well, for most of the game, I thought that was what was missing in MLS, in the MLS's back tournament. You didn't see that defensive work rate. You didn't see some of the goals that I remember seeing out of uh, some of the teams that we played in, or the team that we played in MLS back were a product, in my opinion, of Barco not not doing his role defensively in those moments where he was caught up too far up, up the field, didn't track back far enough back or didn't track back far enough to help, uh, you know, miles Robinson, uh, Meza, uh, even Remedy at times to kind of shift over as well. It left a lot of open space on his side and that opened up stuff for, for the opposition to, to get in behind you didn't see that. I mean, we saw a little more of it in the first half than you did in the second half, but how, I think there was four instances where, where, George Bello is is doing some last ditch defending and yeah. and uh, really helping out his team by by tracking back and by marking man on his side, and I thought it was a a great display of the difference between George Bello at the early part of the season, George Bello now, and kind of his mm-hmm. maturity and growing into that position. Because again, that's not something I saw in MLS's back. Yeah, and it's something think- I'm seeing now. For him, I think it's, it's, it's you know it's, that's something that you're seeing as he develops experience. Because I don't know that I would describe it as as that he is now showing a defensive work rate. I think it's that he's showing a better understanding of how to position himself so he can more realistically recover back defensively and not getting too gung-ho when he goes forward. I think that that's probably a better way of saying it because I, it's not that I question the, the effort. It was more the, sure. the yeah, sure, the positioning. Because we talked about it all the time, and I had a few pieces on uh, DSS about about how you're getting – and it's actually it's still happening, by the way, as we saw in this match. You're getting yeah. countered into those wide spaces all the time. And – I just, it's good to see he's still making a great impact going forward. And Stephen Glass and Lanny, I'd want him to go forward. And there are going to be times where he's caught out. But I thought he did a good job of just limiting the amount of times that happened and also making sure that if he was caught out, that he was close enough with his pace where he could still run the, run the runner down. Um, so that's just little experience stuff of, you know, of understanding, you know, when the ball turns over, I, I immediately need to start 
not sprinting back necessarily, but thinking about jogging back, getting back, uh, and, and, and getting forward, I think, in a little more natural way. One thing he did a lot in MLS back, is back that was great, but maybe uh, hurt you defensively was you saw him make a lot of like 30, 40 yard run sport off the ball to try and receive the ball out wide. Um, and then, of course, when you turn it over, it's unrealistic to expect him to run all the way back. But now we're seeing him, I feel like, move up a little more methodically. You were seeing him receive the ball in the buildup uh, or, or, or post himself high and wide and receive the ball with a pass as opposed to, you know, just making a direct run straight forward into that space. So that way the team is able to move forward with him and you're in a little more of an organic attacking shape where you're less likely to give the ball away. Uh, so again, just little things like that, that he's just learning with experience where, you know, cause we, we get it, you know, we, you concede with a guy like Bello, you're going to get countered into that space. Uh, that's sometimes because in the end he gives you so much attacking that you're willing to concede that, but it's up to him with experience to find out how to limit opportunities for the opposition to counter into that space and also to be close enough to the play already to recover with his pace when they do are able to counter into that space he leaves open. I got a bit of break, breaking news in the podcast. Ready? Oh, God. Not often that this happens, but what happened? the sale of Pity Martinez has become official. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> you think about uh, these long, drawn-out transfer sagas we've had. <laughs> this was, and then this he was like, no, 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 a little more. We need a little more. Or no, we're not even talking to them. Or we laugh at your offer. $18 million for PT, they said, yes, they made an offer. Yes, we accepted it. And it was done in 48 hours. And it's not a knock on PT, but that's, that's, that's great money for him. I mean, and you got very fortunate uh, because if you look at the type of club he's going to for that amount of money, those types of clubs like an Al Nasser, they're not competing for guys going to Europe for the same dollar amount. You know, they're getting, they're getting guys that they can market their team around that are flashy players. And in the end, they're fine with it being a sunk cost if he doesn't make the money back up if they sell him down the line. So you're very – this is a very lucky spur-of-the-moment moment opportunity that came for Atlanta United. I'd be shocked if Al Nasser had been making inquiries and trying to negotiate a deal. I think we just saw a situation here where they put in an $18 million bid, Atlanta United accepted it, and took that money right to the bank. Doug Roberts saying it's a between an 18 and $20 million uh, fee, uh, but neither side would announce. I feel like we'll get the numbers at some point on Twitter. Um, Look, you say it's a good deal. I think it's a good deal for the club. I think it's a great deal for the the fans. I'm not going to go out and say it's a great deal for Pity. Maybe financially it's great for him, but for a guy who talked about wanting to feeling disrespected that he didn't get looked at more by Europe, I can't imagine this is where he wanted to be. I'm sure he's happy financially. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I want to say one thing quickly about back going back to Bello and going back to the match. I thought it actually is part of Stephen Glass as well. So it's kind of puts everything in the bow we were talking about. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. So when George, uh, the, the, the Mulraney substitution, I don't think he was, I don't think Bello was supposed to come off there. I think that you had a situ. I think if you watch the game, uh, you had a situation where Mulraney's about to come on, and then you see Bello pull up. We found out later just cramps. He's fine. And he, the camera pans to them on the sidelines. Stephen Glass basically come up to Mulraney and say, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, okay? And John Gallagher, who also came in, 
with him as at that time, not standing at the half line. So he wasn't subbing on and that was your last window to make a substitute. So I think that Mulraney was initially going to come in for Emerson Hindman, play the left wing and Hoseto who had come in on the left was going to move into the middle or he's more comfortable or excuse me, not for Hindman, for Remedi. I think he was going to come for Remedi. Uh, and then Hoseto was going to play next to Hindman. So you get more attacking through the middle. But since Bello pulled up, it takes a couple more minutes to make the substitution. And then all of a sudden you see Gallagher coming in with Bello's name listed on the sub, uh, the sub uh, number thing that they hold up or whatever. So, but he wasn't, the sub was not for Bello. So I thought that was very interesting. So then Gallagher ends up coming in uh, and going up front basically uh, with for Remedi instead of playing through, through the middle. And then Mulraney plays on the left. And that was just so interesting to me because that made a big difference because Gallagher pairing with John up top gave you two forwards, made it more difficult to defend crosses and was a big reason that uh, John was able to get space for that header at the very end. So he kind of lucked into a, a good tactical change because Bello had to come off uh, and you had to go to two forwards, whereas before you were just going to move Hosetto into the middle and get more attacking through that, through that side. But with John Gallagher being subbed on, it changed everything and, and in some ways impacted the goal. So I thought that was super, super interesting. Yeah, I looked at um, – most of this match, and I, I, I mean, outside of Mulraney and John, I didn't pay attention to much of what the, what the subs were doing because it felt like at the time I still felt like well, we're not winning this game. And it was so bad to me. The second half definitely picked up, but it was so bad to me in the first half that you almost even lost interest to watch the rest of the game. I think I got a tweet from someone. Yeah. I, I, uh, I said, how would you feel if uh, – how, how angry or upset will you feel if, when it, if Atlanta United loses this match? And someone gave the perfect response. Norm, they said something to the effect of, normally I would force my family to watch. Now I don't even bother because I don't want to put them through that. Which yeah, is exactly I mean, like, how I felt. <laughs> when John scored, Entire I first half. Everyone yeah. did. No, yeah, one, no one thought that, that was a, a, a realistic option at that point, that, that yeah. a cross from Mulraney would go into John perfectly and John would find a way to head yeah. it in. Great for right. him. Great for him to shush the crowd, all 12 of them that were there. And... Um, Good moment for Lenny. Right, look, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe this is a moment. I don't think it's going to be. I think there's a, need, a lot more you. needs. I think a lot more needs to happen. But maybe this is a moment that kind of helps turn the season around a little bit. I don't really expect it because look, the guys that were in it that made the plays at the end weren't the starting eleven, and the starting eleven is where you need to make the most impact when it comes to how the game is played, how well you look, um, how uh, how tactically proficient you are especially in that first 45. That first 45 is so important because it sets the tone for the rest of the game. Thankfully, it didn't... Look at, in Orlando's case, for example, um, you look at the first 45 and how they played, and they honestly should have won the game right then and there. It should have been over at halftime, and it wasn't. Again, that sets that first half, obviously, it's a massive portion of the game. It's half the game, but it sets a... Especially early on, it sets that... It sets that it gives you kind of a sense of how the game's going to go. And by all accounts, no, Atlanta should have had no business being in that game. Orlando was the better team right now is the better team. I think they're the better coach team right now, obviously. Um, and I think the momentum that they're riding is, is good. Thankfully we did enough or at the, you know, Adam, John and Mulraney did enough by themselves to kind of halt that momentum, uh, at least from them getting all three points in this, in right. this match. But it's, um, it's important to look at, I, I, when I when I think about that 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 thought that mindset, 
I just think I can't see it the same way because it's it was one the ninety what ninety second ninety second minute yeah and it was a fluky play it was a good play I'm not saying I'm not taking anything away from from the the actions themselves but we can all agree we shouldn't have been in that position we had no business to win that game and I don't see it as a as a turning point for this for this team because again the starting eleven wasn't in the starting eleven wasn't the one that did this the starting eleven who you will depend on for 60, 70% of the match had no, had nothing to do with this play right. for the and most to, part. And to your point a little bit, Eric, about the goal, you know, like that's not, if you don't, you're not going to score many goals like that. I mean, it's yeah. just a lumped in ball to the box and a great header by Adam John. So uh, I, I totally agree with that. There's nothing, I don't see it as a turning point because I think uh, we would be looking more at something specific about the performance, you know, like Stephen Glass talked about resilience after the match. And maybe that was there, but it's not like uh, the team started piling on the pressure in the second half or made, you know, like the, the game pretty much was, was Orlando's throughout. And then maybe you start to put some pressure on in the last 10 minutes, but even then the chances you you create are lumped in crosses. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, that's again, that's not, that's not a turning point to me because I don't see, much improvement in the performance of the team. And just because you got a lucky goal at the end doesn't really change that. So when I look ahead to Miami, I think that it's, it's great. You got a draw. You're relieved. You got a draw. But I don't think a draw you're relieved by represents a turning point, right? I think right. a draw where you feel real good about your performance and, and, and however you earned that draw, that's, that would be a turning point with a late goal. But this was just, you know, a game where you were fortunate to be hanging around and you scored a – random cross and header goal at the very end if, if, if Elaine, I see Elaine, Elaine, United, look Elaine United with one shot oh sorry six shots on target that's actually more than I thought well think uh, about but think about you've got the free kick from Barco from distance sure. Galese punches away you have the long shot from Hindman where Galese made that really unorthodox save we're not talking uh, you had the header right at uh, Galese so a lot of these shots on goal were not dangerous and the most dangerous chance you missed was a shot off target with, with Kubo Torres where, yeah. where he misses the header from the top he, of the six Look, he's the one that I'm. I'm hoping helps finds a way, helps find a way to to help Atlanta United turn a corner. Because if it's going to happen, it's going to be through him. Um, he's had two clear chances that he's missed over the last two matches, I believe. And uh, and he's a guy who you've heard on the you've heard on the broadcast. He's looking for a way to get back into the Mexican national team. And right now, in the in the last two matches, he's not a guy that's that's you know trending in that direction. Um, but he's the guy that I think. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen through him. It's going to happen through guys like Joseto. It's going to happen through guys like Barco. If Jurgen Dam can get match fit, I think that's going to happen through a guy like him. Um, I think that uh, it's we're still in, a, in 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 kind of like a wait and see period when it comes to some of these guys getting match fit and some of the newcomers at least getting you know putting their stamp on on this match, but it's um, or on this team. But I, I, I'm still hopeful that at the very least Atlanta can pull off a playoff spot out of the season. Um, I think that that's a reasonable expectation to have. Beyond that, I don't know. But it's that's ultimately what I want, what I want, what I want to see happen here in the next few matches as well. In the matches that we know are are going to are going to occur, yeah. is Kubo Torres finds a way to you know impact the next two matches. Um, Jurgen Dom finds a way to kind of be more. Of, of a of a force on that right side, which I think he can be. I think he's a better version of of, of Tito. I I it, it, look the sale of pity actually brings up a good point, and um I I know that I I definitely want to talk wanted to talk about this when I first heard about the pity rumors or pity yeah pity rumors um, that he was being transferred. I I I I want to 
kind of take a step back and look at this club in the front office in two different perspectives. Because the front office will look at the sale of, of, of Pity and the sale of the eventual sale, we assume, of Barco as successful. And I don't disagree with that. I think, obviously, if you can sell these players at a profit, regardless of what you bought them for, maybe it wasn't as much as you wanted. But if you still make a profit off of them, that's, that's beneficial for the club, that's beneficial for the player, all that stuff. Um, but I think most of the uh, most Atlanta United fans can look at the 2019, 2020 season regardless. And, and, and you have to kind of look at it in two ways. One is success for the front office. And then two general success for the club. And I think the fans fall under success for the club. And I think that, I think most fans would agree, even with two trophies, uh, and the big sales, uh, two trophies and the underwhelming performances from both Barco and Pity for the most part, they would consider those two seasons. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I feel the sense that you get is that both those seasons, 2019, what it, what has, what we've seen out of 2020 have been relatively unsuccessful, mainly because of the, the, the aesthetic, the aesthetics of the team. Um, and just the overall impressions that you've gotten out of, out of guys like Frank DeBoer, Pity Martinez and, and Barco overall. Um, whilst a success, maybe for the front office, I don't feel like it's, it's, it's viewed or seen or felt as a success for the fans themselves. And it's a weird dichotomy. You got to like, kind of look at this team with, because you would think that, that they would both go together. That if the, if the, if the front office feels successful, then the fans would feel like it's a success and, and so on and so forth. But that, I don't get that sense. I mean, I think there's, there's a couple different, right. So, so the, the one part of it, I think you look at it is the, the fi- financial side of it, which is critical, right? Cause that has a big part to do with the club stability. Although Arthur Blank has all the money in the world, but you know, so, so like in the, like with PT, yeah. I mean, you, 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 you got an okay 18 months out of him. Not bad. I mean, he was still a plus player for you. I think this, despite the fact he probably underachieved overall. And then you're in the end, you're able to break even and open up that money to go get someone else. So on the one hand, uh, or, or say you sell Barco for a profit. So the same type of thing where you're like, all right, you know, we had a decent, we had a plus one player uh, and then we made a profit or broke even on them. So from that sense, that's very successful, right? But from the other side of it, like you say, Eric, the results part of it is critical too, right? You can't, I don't think Atlanta United want to be seen as like, you know, uh, like a Southampton where you're moving players on that then become studs. You know, I think they want them to be stars here that assist in, in winning trophies and winning things. I would push back on, the 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 on-field product not being successful i still think it's been quite successful but i do think if you compare the first two years to the last two you do see some regression in terms of what you're seeing on the field and then some stuff that we've talked about so much people are probably tired of it by now but just little things like but like like correcting your depth and and or adding balance in the middle things like that um and i think you've seen a clear decline in those areas with in the terms of the that the, the front office has made. So, I, and I think where this all comes together is personally, I think if you continue to get guys like PT, you're not, you're, you're not going to make a profit on the next guy. That's the, in the exact same situation. You know, Al Nasser's are not going to come out of the woodwork and, you know, drop, drop a bunch of money that they found in their sofa 
you know, to, to, buy, to buy a player for $18 million. If you have another PT situation in two years, we have a guy that's a little older, he's maybe not performing at his best, he's not valuable enough to go to Europe, the South American clubs can't afford him any longer, you're going to be stuck with him on your books for a long time. That's what, I thought, that, that's what I know? thought would happen with Pity. Yeah, and, th- what I thought and, would and that's when you see a real connection between the finances, part of the club not working, and the results on the field not working. Because the two things eventually will become connected. But you got lucky with PT this time. Uh, Barco, we'll see what happens. I still think it's not lucky because he's all, despite his performances, he's always been valued quite highly due to his age. But you've got to, first of all, supplement that with helping you win on the field because that's what the fans want. And you've also got to realize that if they're not helping you win on the field, eventually these guys are not going to be worth enough to sell on and you're going to be stuck with a guy or two that really hinders your ability to improve your team. I would I would label both Pity and Barco. Barco, not nearly as much as Pity, but Pity, for example, I would label him as as more a miss than a hit. But not person, not yeah not but not not Absolutely. to say that it's one or the other. It's it's one extreme or the other. But like, if you could break it up in percentage, like maybe forty five percent miss as opposed to. You know, if you, if you want to look at it that way, I'm not saying I'm not saying you could say percentages under 99, Eric. I'm not, I'm not saying he's all the way to the left of, of, of miss, but, uh, and Barco obviously more hit than a miss, but I, I just, but you're right. I don't see that. I don't see a, a, I will say a quote unquote miss like that, like pity being something that the, the club would, would want. They definitely wouldn't want to make that again. Not that they would try, but it's not going to be as easy to get rid of a guy that, like that the second time. You're absolutely right. I, I look at it, and I, I think you look at last year, for example, and Campeones Cup is kind of the weird one because while it's a, it's, it's a good trophy to have, it is a one-off. Um, so it doesn't count the same as, say, like an MLS Cup or, well, just by its nature, it doesn't count the same as an MLS Cup or, or a U.S. Open Cup. The U.S. Open Cup is other, also kind of tricky because it's, it's, there's a lot of, I'll say it, it's a lot of luck that plays into it because of the type of players you're playing early on, the type of teams you're playing. Um, but nonetheless, Elaine United found a way to get into that final and win it. So good for them. And it's a tournament based thing. So, um, you know, they found a way to, to really navigate that tournament and get a, get a, you know, get a trophy out of it. But if you take away that Campeones cup, then clearly it's not as, I feel like we just look at two trophies and think fantastic. I don't yeah. see okay. the Campeones cup is the thing that throws me off. Cause I don't see that the same way I, I would MLS cup or, or, or us open cup in the sense that, that those two are tournament based uh, trophies that you have to, you know, you have to really fight throughout a long process to a sure. long process than Campeones Cup. Sure, and and I think although the U.S. Open Cup, yes, much more impressive. But if you look at you know, it's run through it, uh, they did not exactly have difficult draw, uh, get getting through to the final and then winning at home. But I would also say, I mean, look, I mean, your Joseph Martinez miss penalty and. Nick sure. Dilley, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and two crazy moments. Yep. Uh, I agree. I agree. hundred percent. Uh, Toronto from hosting MLS cup. So I put those two things together, you know, like yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what I do. Cause I, I agree with you. Like when people just say, Oh, you won two trophies, a successful year. I'm thinking, no, I want to see the performances throughout the year. And, and you were very extraordinarily unlucky not to be an MLS cup last year. That being said, I think some of the performance issues on the field that we've, we've kind of talked about, the team is clearly not as good as it was in 2018. It was clearly not as good last year as it was in 2018. Um, and I don't know if you can be as good in 2021, you know, based on the, some of the personnel issues you had. Maybe you can. I think there are some good pieces in place and Joseph will be back. But uh, 
it, you know, th- that's, that's the worry, right, in terms of the front office is while we can sit here and have this debate about whether the team is enjoying success, there's no question that the team itself and the performances have not been as good over the last two years as they were the first two years for Land United. And, and that's where things need to change. It's going to be hard to imagine much of that happening this year. This year is such a wash, but, you and know, the, go ahead. The, the other thing is that we look at it as a, a success. I look at it at least, well, and the front office does too, and most mm-hmm. people do, as a success, as a, as, a, as a positive for the front office to sell pity, to sell eventually sell Barco for a profit. But what, what I feel like is not being mentioned is the amount of money that I think Atlanta United expected to make off of a pity, expect to make off of a Barco. And that's not nearly as high as I think they had planned for. You don't spend that much money for a potential $4 million return. That's not that's not good investing. That's, that's okay. Investing with, with, but. with, with Barco. I don't know if I agree because of his age with PT. And again, you look at, and you look at the type of player he ended up being, you kind of wonder what they were thinking, right? Because it was quite clear now that we know PT now that we've watched him. And again, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's a plus one player, but, uh, I'm surprised they didn't foresee getting themselves into this position and saying, this guy's good, but he's not like so dominant where he's going to go to be on the European radar. And he's a little too old for someone to take a chance on him to spend a lot of money. And again, you just got lucky in the end, but you like with Barco, I can see, and I, I think they expected a profit. And I think that's kind of going the way they expected despite pandemic the PT thing, they got extraordinarily lucky. And now looking back on it, I kind of wonder what they were thinking, uh, being, being able to think that they would ever be able to get value in return for them. And in the end, lucked out, and that's great. But that's not going to happen with the next guy like that. Look, it's all that matters. Just let's not try to replicate this. Yeah, learn uh, from it. I would like them to stick, stick younger. You know, it's very risky. We just saw with PT. When you go get a guy, what was he, 25 when he came here, 24? I, for whatever reason, I thought it was 27. Hold on. 20, that, that, that's, that's that feels a, high. Yeah, I think that's a little bit high. I think that's a little bit high. That's a big difference in terms of a player. Yeah, he's Sorry, 27 he's 20, now. 27 now, yeah. Yeah, so he was like 25 when he came over. That's a big difference, right? Because if PT comes and he plays even good but not great for two years, no one wants a 27-year-old good MLS player, you know? But if you buy a 18, 19, 20-year-old and he plays – good in MLS and obviously he'd wanted to play better but he plays good someone will take a chance on him because they'll say oh he's playing well I can see the potential in him he's 20 21 years old so I, I think the main lesson Atlanta United should learn from this is let's you know st- stick stick on the younger side for your DPs unless you're pretty sure that you're going to get a guy that comes over here and absolutely dominates and with PT Martinez as we've discussed uh he was never never going to be that guy I, I look at – so I went back and actually watched uh, some of the uh, – I want to say the extended highlights of, of, of the Copa Live run for River Plate. And I never thought that he kind of stood out as a guy that was going to dominate a game. I thought he was a player – and I think it's obvious now that he's a player that needs to be surrounded by other really good players in order for himself then to look – He's like an X-Factor guy, right? He's a really good – yeah, he's a, he's a really good piece to an already put-together puzzle. Um, and Atlanta United has not been that basically since – well, and he was supposed to be the key piece to the puzzle. Right. right? I, look, yeah. as much as you don't want to say it, he was the guy that, was rep- that replaced Almiron, and you expected maybe not the same kind of uh, you, you know, performances aesthetically, but you, you, you thought that he would give you the same, or, or the same kind of impact, whether that's, that was through numbers, through goals, through assists, and stuff like that. 
um, or through just his, his dominance on the field in other ways, you expected that same kind of impact where he drew defenders, where he was able to take guys on 1v1, where he didn't turn over the ball as, as often as he did, where he made more, uh, he, he was more of a threat going forward than I think he ever, ever was with Atlanta United. And he was never that. And I never in the, in, in, in what I watched, what I went back and watched, I never got the sense that he was this impact player. So I'm, I'm with, I was with you. I was like, I don't, I'm not quite sure what they saw. Um, but hey, it, it worked out great for the front office, at least. It worked out fine uh, in the sense that you, you were able to sell them off for a profit. You didn't lose any money off of them. They still haven't lost any money, I don't think, on anyone they've, they've, they've brought over. So that's a pos- oh, any major player that right. they brought yeah, over. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't recommend they go after that. Right. And that's the, <laughs> if you, if you, if go you after can- someone that you know for sure is going to be a force. Uh, in MLS, because I think that's when you when you when you sign a DP, when you ask someone to take up that spot, you ask them to be a force, a do, a dominant player within yeah. MLS. You ask him to take over, um, take over the the team in a sense. They never got never got that from Pity. You still haven't really got that for Barco. Um, not to say that they should ever be benched or anything like that, because you you just can't and you wouldn't because there's no one that would replace him. But that's not what I'm what I'm saying is that they need to walk into this team and not necessarily day one, but very quickly adapt themselves enough to where they are a dominant force, not only on this team, but they're a dominant force against anyone they play. They're a dominant force in the league. Their name is, 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 you know, it carries weight to it. And you never got that from Pity. You never really, you still haven't gotten that, I think, from Barco. And that's where I think they've, the front office at least has missed in that aspect. Well, would you say, okay, so how would you assess overall your confidence right now in the front office. I mean, we, we don't well, look, completely I, agree on the comparison between PT and Barco, but I, I do agree with you. I, look, it, it, but, but Barco clearly is, is, has been better as a DP than I think Pity has. Well, it's, but I'm saying also it's, it's lower risk, right? Because sure. he doesn't have to, he, he's been injured. He's been, but there are still yeah. clubs like this guy, you know, if we can keep him healthy, he's 21 yep. years old. Yep. So, yep. so yeah, risk. but yeah. But what? But remember, this is. I view it in two ways. I view it from the fan fans' perspective. Right. And, yeah, and yeah how, totally. You know, the result-driven aspect of this whole thing, and then the front office is going to look at it and say, "Okay, well, we obviously want that, but long-term, bigger picture, we also want to be able to sell him for a profit down the road." Um, I think that since Paul McDonough has gone away, there's clearly been some kind of shift in the mindset of, uh, in the the type of players that they're looking at. Um, and the type of players that they're going after, not only for, for say, DPs, but also for the supporting cast of this team, of the guys that are going to be the focal point of this starting 11. Um, you know, y- you found a way under Paul McDonough to get the best out of your supporting cast, and that hasn't happened since he left. Yeah. I think that's the most worrisome thing. I think you're really starting to appreciate what he probably brought to Atlanta United, especially early on, and what he could potentially bring to Inter-Miami. Um, and so you... You wonder about – I wonder about that. I think yeah, the, if, there's a, the depth, if, there's a, if there's a question I can ask Darren Eels just up front and get like an honest answer, it would be that. You know, what's the impact been since Paul McDonough has left? Yeah. And if I could get him – you know, if I could get him to give me an honest answer that, that you know – look, nothing against whoever fills that role now, but um, it's, it's clearly different. There's clearly a different, a different take on the type of players you're bringing in because they're not of the same quality, I think – as what you had under Paul McDonough. And I think and I, that most people would agree with that, with that sentiment. 
And I think some, in some ways, you know, this is something that we talked a lot before last year about how it was so weird that you didn't have a backup right back on your roster right. and, and the constraints that could put you under a Franco Escobar but got uh, hurt. And I think with respect to the depth, that, that's where I've seen the biggest drop off in terms of quality signings as well. Because if you look at, for instance, you know, John Gallagher coming on against Orlando and compare him to like, you know, 2017, like, you know, Conquo or, uh, or Lagos Kunga, those guys never even got close to seeing the field because you had depth in front of them. And this is with plenty of injuries uh, in those times happening. So, and that's not a criticism of Gallagher. It's just an example of you had more experienced pieces, more reliable pieces uh, in your first 18 to 20 options. I mean, you had a Kevin Kratz, that you can yeah. put into the midfield and be serviceable. And certainly that's where I see the drop, uh, the drop off. I do say this though, after watching these last few matches, this, um, I'm a lot more bullish about the first 11 than I was after MLS is back. Obviously you have major issues with the front three uh, with PT now being gone. Joseph is out. It's going to be tough to score goals. But now that I look at it, and, I, and we've seen Mesa before the injury play a few matches, now we've gotten to see walks, we've gotten to see Robinson has maybe even improved his game a little bit. You're, you're, you're good to go at center back. You know, we've see, we see the left back in Bello, uh, you know, is maybe one of the great young talents in the league right now. Escobar is a very good right back. If, if you play him over there, or you can play him in the middle. Um, I think Hoseto... I'm quickly becoming a huge Hosetu stan. I mean, I'm Hosetu stan. That sounds like a Central Asian country. But um, <laughs> anyways, uh, I think that, that, that he, he, he is – we've talked all about replacing Darlington Nagby, and I'm not saying he is Darlington Nagby, but you do have a guy who can play right in the middle of the field and can give you 93 95% completion of his passes. And certainly you saw exactly that missing in the buildup against Orlando. So I'm very positive about that. So I think when you look at it, you can make two or three good signings next year and be right back where you are and have some good depth, be back right where you were in 2018. So I'm a little more positive about the pieces than I was because I've seen some of these guys that we didn't maybe get to get a look at at MLS's back or uh, you had the green card issue with Hosetto in the first couple matches of the year. Uh, and then obviously the pandemic has thrown a you know, curveball into everything. But I- I've seen some of the pieces that maybe we were questioning not being there a few months ago. I'm starting to see them come to fruition now. The issue is just you have nothing in attack other than Ezekiel Barco. So if you're, if you're, if you're at Atlanta United right now and you're looking to sign the next DP, are you, are you looking specifically at a, like I say, a number six that can help out in the midfield? Right. Yeah. Are you, are you looking at someone that, uh, or you looking at someone that say replaces pity right out the gate? Um, someone that an attacking player that can, you know, that can, that can go to goal and, and create, uh, you know, something going forward as opposed to building in the midfield. Because if it's me, it's something that can help your midfield right now, because that seems, where, that seems to be where the biggest hole is. That seems to be where, where Atlanta United is having the biggest trouble. Um, that seems to be where I feel like you can get away with the, the attacking players you have right now. Uh, but if you don't fix whatever's going on in the midfield, you're not going to get anything going forward. And I think that was evident against Orlando in the first half. I think that's the biggest problem. I think before anything else, you got to salute, you got to solve that. Otherwise you're going to bring in another P- DP and find yourself in a, in a similar situation. I think, unless he's just the greatest person, the grid, the, the, you know, the diamond in the rough that no one's ever seen before. You're going to find yourself, I think in a similar position, you found yourself with, with pity and that um, this guy was a guy that 
as soon as he got the ball, he was, he was, he couldn't find anything. He couldn't open up space. He couldn't basically, you, you weren't going to be able to get service to a player that can then go forward and provide right. know, some attacking presence. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny, like, right. Because you're not scoring goals. And I think the fans have realized this year, but, but this, this year, they didn't last year, you're not scoring goals, but you're not playing defensively. You know, it's, it's not, yeah. you see those, you see those fullbacks getting high. You're usually controlling possession. Um, it's, it's an issue of finding that balance where you can find someone to connect defense to attack where you're getting the ball into dangerous positions quickly before the defense can recover. And someone who's also protecting you against those counters and providing that balance. So part of that is, like I said, it's that Nagby position. It's that Joseto guy, the guy to sit in between the midfield and the defenders and connect, whether it be dropping the ball back and resetting or finding someone in front of them. But you also need that player that plays a little bit behind Seto uh, to protect the back four against counterattacks and then also to provide that maybe first link up in possession to get Seto the ball so he doesn't have to drop all the way back in to get it. Um, Jeff Lernowitz can do that, but he's very old. He's And there are sixes. Uh, I, I, I can't remember if it was you I brought this up with or, or with Joe uh, on the overlap with five strike final that there are a lot of sixes that are kind of a combination of Lorenowitz and Rometty who can, yeah. uh, that would be a DP type six that can both is versatile enough to get back, sit in front of the front six and defend and also be able to, uh, like Rometty does kind of get out of tight spaces a little quicker than Lorenowitz, a little livelier. So if you can find a six that does both of those things, that's like a DP level guy, then I'm all for it. I would present the devil's advocate part of it though, is you, we can't score. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go into next season, I mean, granted Joseph Martinez is going to be back. Right. Uh, and, but, and then, but we say that, but Joseph Martinez by himself, isn't going to do, at least from my opinion, that he's not going to do much again by himself. If he doesn't get service then he's not going to be. And then the other part of this front. though, Eric is if Barco was gone, right. Then you have two DP spots open. So are you going to stick with your front three as your designated players, as we saw in the last couple of years, PT Barco, Joseph, or are you maybe going to add one front three guy, one attack guy, and then maybe go get, like you said, a, a really good center mid or something like that. So if you sell Barkle, you have a lot more options. But in the short term, the clubs say they're trying to re- uh, replace Pizzi in this window with an attacker. I, I can see your side of it. I mean, I, I think if there's a, a, that type of six is, is available, I would go get that type of six because I don't think you're going to win MLS Cup this year anyway. Right. So why not go ahead and get the best player available that suits a need? And then you can improve the attack next year by either replacing Ezekiel Barco's uh, designated player spot if he goes. And then also, obviously, you already know Joseph Martinez back in the lineup. I also think that if you're looking already towards next year, not to say that you're you're looking past the rest of this year, but if you're looking towards next year and what could become and maybe a, a better future for Atlanta United, you'd rather, I feel like, have someone like a number six in the midfield uh, accustomed to the playing side of Atlanta United accustomed to some of the players that he'll be playing with next year, go ahead and build that chemistry. I, I feel like I, an attacking player, say a, I feel like it takes a shorter amount of time for an attacking player to build the chemistry needed to be efficient. Um, than say someone in the midfield who's looking to link up play with, with, with some of his teammates in the midfield. I feel like it, it, it's a quicker process to get accustomed up top or in the attack than it is in the buildup. Um, naturally, because you, you judge people's movements, you get a better sense of who they are as players. You, um, you know, you, you build that trust with them, you know, in, in the midfield, just one perspective. I, you know, I, 
I look at it that way. I, I, not to say we just don't, we don't want them to pigeonhole themselves into saying we must replace PT, right? There are other holes on the roster. And if that type of player becomes available and he's the best player available and he happens to be a center mid, please go get that player. And we can deal with the attack (laughs) another time because Joseph Martinez is gone this year. So our attack's not going to be that great anyway. I think the supporting cast is, is adequate enough that if you can find pieces to, to help, if you can find the pieces needed to really improve, to really bolster the, the buildup to the attack, I think the rest will kind of fall into place. But I think right now the biggest hole is in the midfield. I think that's where they should focus their attention. Unless whoever they're looking at, say, let's say they are looking at number six and they happen to find a, an attacking player that is just, oh my gosh, yeah, exactly. this guy is a one-a-generation yeah, yeah. talent. Yeah, go for him. Think about I, that I'll signing. Understand. Think about that signing for the future, not for how do we immediately right. – get back to, uh, you know, where we were going forward, which wasn't really that good anyway, right? So that should yeah. tell you we already had PT and Barco and we couldn't create. Uh, so maybe we should just go and get the player that suits our best long-term needs instead of trying to replace PT immediately. All right, uh, Carlos Bocanegra talking about uh, the pity sale. We want to thank Pity for his contributions to our club for, for, for the past two years. He will forever be part of Atlanta United's history after playing an integral part in our 2019 season in which we lifted two trophies. Look to be diligent in our efforts to fill that roster spot during this window. Yeah, I mean they're doing it. I mean, I think the, I think this ended as well as it could have, man. That is for sure. Yep, for him at least, or for the club. I think for everybody, <laughs> for every. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. It's hard to say from his point of view. It, it is certainly. I mean, maybe he wanted. I don't know if he wanted to leave Atlanta or not. But as far as his the trajectory of his career, it's it's at best a lateral move. At best. Uh, any final thoughts before we take off? Uh, yes. Are you going to apologize uh, <laughs> to Parceros for your absolute? It wasn't Parceros. It was just Danny. It was just Danny. It was just Danny, our friend from Sampre United podcast. Look, what I will say is that that was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in this podcast. Tell, can you just explain no, 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 in no, no, your no, own no, words no, no, no. what it is you did? Because I, uh, otherwise, I'm going to do so it. From my, my, from my perspective, this was supposed to be a fun back and forth. It was supposed to be something that just engaged both the podcast and we would talk about them and they would talk about us. Nothing that I was like contriving, but I, I thought, you know what? I like doing this from time to time. Just trying to, I do it with home before dark all the time or they'll say something I disagree with, or they'll tweet at me something and I'll call them out for it. And so Danny being, uh, you know, the, the active guy on, on social media that he is, has been, I'll say it, badgering me, but in a friendly way, badgering me about, uh, my, disapproval of of pity i guess and <laughs> i went really hard in my rebuttal and too hard and they clap back and they clap back really hard that's and, the uh, thing i don't remember <laughs> you going this hard on the other podcast no 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 you not calling at all. jason longshore drunk doing soccer down here <laughs> No, so, but again, it was supposed to be just a fun and a fun little back and forth. And it I think it was fun, Eric. I, it I did not. Weird. I'm sure you enjoyed it, but well, it was uh, definitely fun for me. Yes, believe me, I've never been more embarrassed in my life. Yes, Eric learned specifically his... for the clapback, but uh, whatever. Yeah. I it's it's over. Um, there's not much else to say. So there you I'm... go, people. If 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 you're gonna get really <laughs> mad on social media, you must be ready for other people to return fire. Um, my Look, favorite... I, I I I stand by the overall the overall uh, disapproval, I guess, of pity as a as a player as as to what he what he brings to Atlanta United and everything. I think I could have gone a better way. I could have gone about expressing it in a much better way, being a little 
<laughs> better well, prepared. I think you did I, express it well. Being, later a, being, a, being a little better, pre- being a little better prepared in how I presented uh, my evidence for him oh, well, not being the best player that Atlanta United's ever brought over. Preparation has never been our, our thing. <laughs> so for that, I, I will take. Uh, yeah, I will say that was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. But oh, I, st- okay. I still, I still what? stand. I still stand by. Uh, by the, the 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 overall statement that's saying that I didn't like Pity as a player. I I, I don't think he was right. good for Land United. I don't think that um like we've said on this podcast, I think we're lucky to to have gotten something from him. Um and I, uh, by the way, I don't think I'm the only one in the world that it that thinks that he hasn't been a great player. Um and still has yet to prove that he can do that he can be a, a top quality player for any team he's played for. I think he was good for River Plate, but I think he was surrounded by a cast of players that were that were legendary uh, for that club. So yeah, that there has something has to be said about that to then go from there to Atlanta United and 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 be you know really really lack the 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 I don't know really lack the the, the power or the, the the presence to to be a dominating force on on this team to to be a threat game in and game out that I never saw that I don't plan on seeing from him regardless of where the rest of his career takes him. Uh, so I stand by that, but the way I went about <laughs> doing it, it's pretty video, simple. If you had, that was, that was it, the dumbest thing I've ever done on this podcast. you tweeted what you just said, instead of no one would have said anything calling the no other one guy said anything. drunk and yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean it with right. So anyways, let that be a lesson to all you out there. When you want to offer your takes, right. You got to be, well, actually, I love what you did, Eric. I because I, I thought it was, oh, it was it. No, it was dumb. But, it was pretty. But dumb. but, but I, Dan, you, Danny, I, I reached out to Danny and I uh, I apologized to him. So, um, I, and he he didn't really take it personally. Um, no, but, I don't think so. But I think it was I, all in but fun. the way I, the way I meant to the way I thought about it in my head didn't come out. Uh, didn't come out. Well, right. all I know is Diego Rubio, forward for the Colorado <laughs> Rapids, replied to one of Danny's clapbacks, also ripping on you, Eric. So it oh, was, I know. I will say one thing. I don't really care about you and Danny in this situation. This was brilliant for me. I was just <laughs> watching the whole thing go down. It was too funny. And uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, I would love to forget love those guys. And I would love United, to forget. Uh, I would love to forget that it ever happened. And I got offered. Strangely enough, they weren't that mad because I they got offered to do some. No, I think, no, uh, no, no, no. Nico Perez is looking to do some kind of zoom meeting thing about the no they weren't they weren't mad you were just getting hit from all angles so you, i was i was you had to play defense a little bit i did but you know uh all's well that thank you fun. for bringing that up josh i i appreciate yeah it. i think you should do it again <laughs> no definitely don't plan on doing that ever again sam will do it all we have to let's, do is let's just hope that no one on this podcast ever does anything like that ever again. No, I want Sam to do it, and it could be so easy because we just find a time where he's really, really perturbed, bothered by something, and then just set him up right away at the beginning of the podcast, and we'll have a beautiful, uh, beautiful <laughs> hot take content situation, and you won't have to bear the brunt of it this time. All right. Enter Miami coming up against Atlanta United on Wednesday. Um, what do you terrible game? What are you looking so forward to seeing? I, 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 I after, know, after right. look after Orlando, I don't know what to expect. I feel like what else is there to expect other than yeah. much of the same? But um, I'd certainly like to see a more solid performance. You know, like we said, the one difference from the Orlando match to the other ones was that uh, you're a little bit too open 
So I'd like to see that change, and I'd like to see specifically what changes that, whether it's uh, personnel, Hoseto coming in, or, or changing up your midfield three or whatever. Um, but obviously, you got to create and score goals, and I would like to see that. I, that's what I hope to see, uh, but that's not what I'm expecting to see. And uh, I guess the only good news is Miami is in the exact same situation yeah. in terms of creating I, what, chances. One of the things that Stephen Glass said after uh, the Orlando match was that uh, he, he was impressed by the resilience that the, the, the club showed. Um, and I think that uh, – well, one of, the things he, one of the other things he said was that, you know, can, can, at, he said at halftime of that match, and this is kind of what, I guess, changed the mentality for Atlanta United, at least to make a – to put on a better second half than, than it was in the first. But uh, he asked of the teams, like, can we play with, 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 the, with, with intensity before the other team scores? Can we play as if the, the game is always on the line? Something to that effect. I know that they, can we play with the intensity before the other team scores is, is something he, he actually said. And then he went on to, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he went on to say, you know, can we play with that? With that uh, can we play as if the, the game is on the line from the second we start, we kick the ball to start the match? Um, and I think that if you're going to see anything, it's, it's that. It's the mindset of, of, you know, either we're already losing the game or the game is already on the line, and we want to play with that intensity from the get-go. Because I don't think we saw that in the first half of Orlando. I, I'm, I still don't think we've seen that much out of this team, this intensity to score first, to put the pressure on this team, to, or to any, whoever they play against, um, and to, uh, to, to make life difficult for the other team. The thing I've always seen – out of out of Atlanta United is that it always looks easier for whoever Atlanta United's playing against to play against Atlanta than it is for Atlanta to play whoever they're playing. It always they're always it always seems as though Atlanta United is making the job of their opposition easy by opening up the midfield by allowing runs in behind by you know whatever the case may be by not having much of an attacking presence and and can that change against a team who's also trying still trying to figure it out in Inter Miami. If they can do that, I I I'm hopeful that you know at least will be a better performance. I'm not really, I don't really care at this point if they even get a win because I just want to see some kind of progression because if you see some kind of progression, you can have some hope for the rest of the season. Um, If you can get a result out of it, great. But after, after Orlando, I just don't know what to expect anymore. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing is, I mean, you know, obviously the attack has been the same thing over and over and over again. And you know, I I think a big thing with the attack is some of it, I think we're overanalyzing. A lot of it is just Joseph Martinez is not, is not there. Um, But certainly that has nothing to do with what you just talked about, Eric, right? Like being too open, you know, having, having a team able to win the ball back and play one pass and be in behind. And that's not something we've seen uh, from Atlanta all year. Defensively, you, you've been relatively solid and that Orlando match is one where you could have conceded three, four times. So certainly that's going to have to get back to what we're expecting. And then you just hope something happens in attack, but I don't fucking know. I mean, it's just, just, (laughs) I mean, who who, who knows, man, you just got to, you know, you got to get those guys in the best positions possible and, and just, you know, get that result. However you can against a team like Miami though, you can grind out a one nil win maybe um, because they're not attacking much themselves but uh long term you're gonna have to start creating something in attack and it's just hard to see that happening with the personnel out there right now where Ezekiel Barco is your only player that can hold the ball and take three four five touches in the last third without losing it or having to play the ball back and recycle it so uh that's just the situation you're in right now but uh I think you speak well to uh the key being to be a little more solid in terms of the defending and midfield uh, tell them where they can find you on social media. Yes, you can find me at JoshB914. You can find me at uh, Eric G. Quintana. You can find the podcast at Dirty South Soccer. I'm sorry. You can find the podcast at MOTS <laughs> Podcast. 
uh, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, all the social media avenues that you use. I'm pretty sure we're on all of them at this point. Um, say something uh, so I can find this Lucid FC read. Yeah, I was I was about to say, what does the uh, football? Oh wait, no. Uh, oh wait, hold on. We can't we can't ask that question yet. Not yet. I ask I ask the questions here. Yeah, you ask you ask. Well, yeah, the same question every oh time gosh. when you do the read. Trying to I'm trying to find. I them. thought you did the Lucid read fantastically right, well last week. Here we go. Best performance. All right, here we go. Here we here go. We Let's go, go Eric. Shout out to Lucid FC, a sponsor of the, of the podcast, Mount South Podcast. Lucid FC, a distinctively modern clothing line based right here in Atlanta, promotes uh, freedom of fashion, gender, and role, deeply British-American heritage design approach to uh, clothing. Uh, the brand's iconic logo, immediately recognizable. You can see it all over social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all the good stuff. Uh, pants, outerwear, hats, hoodies, shirts, um, they have everything, they, man. They've got the masks, uh, the masks now masks. with their with their uh, Lucid FC logo. Josh, ask me what the FC stands for. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Interestingly, <laughs> what does the FC and Lucid FC stand for? Footwear and clothing, a perfect match for fans of the football clubs. Check them out, LucidFC.us. See why all the celebrities are. Uh, I don't know who the rapper is, but there's one rapper in all of his videos. He's got Lucid FC stuff. Oh, on. really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Let me check that out. Um, lucidfc.us you can check it out at select uh retailers or outfitters wish epitome check them out lucidfc.us lucidfc.us all right any final thoughts before we uh take off no it's uh always always a pleasure hope everyone's staying safe out there and uh i don't know we'll get through all this shit soon enough and i mean everything everything we will have a podcast after the miami match and until then see you later atlanta <laughs>